All right. Um, today I want to uh, do a short exhortation, like I said in the service. It's not really uh, 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 an exposition or doctrinal position, but an exhortation. And an exhortation is not an explanation when the Bible says in the scriptures that we should exhort. It is to call, all right, someone to pursue some cause of conduct. In other words, to beckon on people to take a particular path. And we are speaking about service, uh, the covenant of service, service as uh, the connection there to experiencing uh, the God in his living power and presence. That is, we are sons and daughters of God who are called to serve. And it's when people realize the hope of that calling by the eyes of their understanding being open to see it, that's where the possibility of experiencing the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead now can come within their lives and cause things to happen. So I want to look at service there, a covenant of service. And um, we said it's an exhortation. If we turn to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 22, we start reading from 22, and it talks about exhortation here. Uh, Hebrews 22 here, um, writer of Hebrews, some says Paul, he says, I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. And so it was a letter of exhortation. And then he says, Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty with whom? If he comes shortly, I will see you. Now, just for the sake of throwing something out there, all right, today, um, people, theologians, debate as to who the writer of the book of Hebrews was because it's a book in the New Testament that is not attributed to any individual. Uh, there's no introduction in the book, like I, Paul, or I, Peter, or James. There's nothing like that. It's just God who at sundry times spoke unto. Now, some people say, if you, if, you, if, you, if you read Galatians with it, that it was attached to that particular letter, but people say what they want to say, because there's no introduction. However, the point I'm getting to is this. Some say it was Paul that wrote it, and some disagree. Those that disagree say that because it was written to Jewish people, or to the Jewish Christians, and Paul was called to the Gentiles, therefore he didn't have that mandate to write that. However, those who say he wrote it, say the system and the manner in which the letter was written was consistent with Paul. And then they also talk about verse 23 that we saw there with reference to Timothy, and that the person who used to refer to Timothy in that capacity to deputize for him when he couldn't make it to a place was Paul. And so they say that it was Paul, all right, that wrote the letter. Now, I said all of that, so at least you gained something from the service today, all right? You can go back and say, well, it was Paul. All right. So, uh, we're looking at finishing this year strong and um, um, starting next year big. And finishing strong uh, is about finishing with consistency and understanding that people reap if they faint not. Now, in the recent weeks, in the last two or three weeks, um, I stumbled on a documentary of Usain Bolt, and I got interested in uh, uh, training and how athletes train for, for events and run. So I went back and I started um, um, watching past Olympics, all right, 100 meters, just to learn something from it. Uh, the reason is that the Bible tells us that we should understand that we are like soldiers, the same way a soldier will not and get himself entangled in the affairs of this life and endures hardness, you also should approach life that way. He also refers to the Christian as an athlete and talks about the fact that he's temperate in all things, controlled in all things, and that he runs and trains in a certain way that he may win the prize. So I came across, all right, uh, something that Ben Johnson, who used to be an athlete in America, 
I used to hold the 200 and 400 meters gold medal. Said about Carl Lewis. Carl Lewis ran in the 84 Olympics, 88, and in 92 Olympics, 100 meters. And he won it in 1984. But there was a pattern, and I knew that growing up, about Carl Lewis. And what happened was, when he runs, uh, first 50 meters, all right, first 60 meters, and Carl Lewis was almost like the Muhammad Ali of athletics, all right? He's the one that made it, gave it commercial value. And first 50 meters, 60 meters, he's always come, he's always at the back. And then in the last 40 meters, it appears like a surge of energy comes, and he just runs through everybody and wins the race. Now, I'm going to show you the finals of 1984, so you get what I'm saying. Has to keep his cool right. about right What's the possibility of the U.S. sweep? Right. The last time they did it in uh, 100 Olympics. meters, 1912. And he's going Braddy, to run Brown, the finals well, here. Now he's on lane six. Ron Brown looks like a, a medalist, but coming into this now, he's been injured, and he just barely made it into the final. Now, he knocked I want out to see the this pattern, Williams yeah. of Canada. The Canadians were not happy with it. It was just a photo, photo finish. And Ron Brown just managed to get in. So you'd have to so run a great race and be 100% healthy to see a U.S. sweep. Ron Brown on the inside. Grady in the middle. Here comes Lewis on the outside. Now, Carl Lewis the thought the behind goal. this thing was that conventional wisdom, and that's what I learned, said that and if you look at it with the human eye, it seems that everybody's running, and then he gets to that 60-meter mark, and he has this fresh burst of energy and goes beyond everybody and wins the race. But then Ben Johnson said when they did the research, they found out that it wasn't that Carl Lewis accelerated from 60-meter point. That what happens with athletes, particularly when you're running 100 meters, is that you hit the peak, maybe around 50, 60 meters, and then you start decelerating. And so in the case of Carl Lewis, it wasn't that he accelerated, but that he was consistent. In other words, he ran the 100 meters the same way, which is how he ran 20 meters was how he ran 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, and then 100. And so what happened was at 60 meters, when everybody starts decelerating, now it appears that Carl Lewis is accelerating, but it's just an issue of consistency. And that I thought about it, that that's the power of finishing strong. Uh, and God showed me that he said people start the year and they get off the blocks. The Bible says, hold fast the beginning of your confidence. At the beginning, everybody's, yeah, yeah, new year. We're going great and all that. And then things begin to happen. Remember the scripture says, they shall reap if they faint not. In other words, before you reap, it says continue in well-doing. It says they will reap if they faint not. So some people start decelerating and getting tired. And people around July, August, maybe they've, you know, declared a lot of that. And the point where the real difference now starts coming out in the lives of people is that those who are consistent who hold fast to that beginning, steadfast to the end. So in the latter parts there, the manifestations begin to come. Whereas when people get weary and tired, all right, the curved balls have come, they've been disappointed, things have happened, and they're tired, and it's like they're just waiting out the entire year to start afresh, right? But the people that hold on and are consistent and are declaring it, and are rejoicing, and staying true and steadfast, the, uh, they are the ones that now start entering into things, which means events begin to unfold. And so they discover something about life, that the reason why many people who start well, or who might be zealous, don't really, I mean, I read somewhere, they said, if anybody holds on to any thought, or dream consistently for five years, it will materialize. The problem is people start getting disappointed, getting tired, you know, they throw in the towel, the zeal goes, they decelerate, the intensity at which they're going at the thing, or right, begins to wane, and that's where the problem really lies. They shall reap, the Bible says, if they faint not. So it's important that you stay true, you hold on, 
All right, so you know, dream there, even if you are blooded, you hold on to that thing, rejoicing, giving God thanks and declaring it and press in and you just find out that that might just be all the difference, all right, all that will make the major difference in your life. Now, so we're looking at Sabbath, Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 5. I'll share briefly on this, an exhortation here. And he says, for unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. Verse 6, but he says, but in one certain place testified, saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visited him? He goes on in verse 7 and says, thou made him a little lower than angels, then crowned him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands, gave him dominion. And then in verse 8, it tells us, thou put all things in subjection under his feet. So we see, all right, Jesus here, uh, body of Christ, or uh, we also in Christ, uh, being made a little lower than angels for the suffering of death. And then uh, we get exalted and everything, the work of God's hands, are placed underneath us. Now, this is a picture, or Joseph was a picture of this. Now, in Genesis 39 verse 1, it tells us that Joseph went down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, so being brought down to Egypt was that he was made lower than where he was as he was sold to slavery. And they bought him and brought him down thither. And verse 2, the Bible tells us, and the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man. So he went a little lower, but the Lord was with him, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the Bible says there, verse 3, it tells us, all right, his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper. And verse 4, it tells us, and Joseph found grace in his sight, as we, the Bible says, we are the house of the Lord, we find grace in the sight of Jesus, and he served him and made him overseer over his house. So it was through service he got to the place of dominion, and he put all things into his hand. And then in verse 5, it talks about, and it came to pass that he made him overseer over his house. So Joseph was made a little lower. Joseph got into the place of authority, not by him, just asking and praying to God, which might just be the desire. So get him out of that situation and restore him back to his father's house and deliver him from the bondage. But the adjustment of Joseph was that he was right in Potiphar's house. The Lord was with him. Think about that. And God wasn't with him to get him out of Potiphar's house and take him back, all right, to his father's house. But the Lord was with him in bringing him to a place of dominion there as he entered into service. So his attitude there was one of service. He served there and that made direct connection with God and the power of God came into operation. And I think we have this consumer mindset in our modern-day gospel. In other words, people are just trying to get from God and, and trying to get from God and, and trying to satisfy feelings that they have and satisfy their appetites and all of that and have not understood uh, the place of service and the power that is contained there. So Joseph was in a difficult situation, but what Joseph got into, I mean, you could see, all right, got himself into the place of service, and that principle kicked in, that he was made a little lower for the suffering of death, now crowned with glory and honor, and got into the place of dominion there. So I want us in exhortation here to talk to God in terms of, and this is the secret, this is what opens the door, right? So the grace of God, supernatural things happening, and causing there to be a fulfillment of God's purpose 
for your life on this earth. So start talking to God instead of a person praying and say, deliver, deliver, get me out of this. Start talking to God about what your assignment is on the earth. And that for him to open up a door of service unto you, true service. That is, you get into the service there, all right, of God there. Where what God has ordained and intended for you as a person. And I believe this is what Jesus was referring to. That don't pray as the heathen do, which means what the heathen will say is get me out, right? But seek ye first his kingdom and all these other things shall be added unto you. So it's about an exhortation to go to God in prayer. Uh, that if uh, things uh, seem, all right, to maybe even have stagnated or you experienced something or disappointment and entrapment and all that, that you should go to God and ask him in that place to open up a door there of service, that they toiled all night and caught nothing. And, and that what happened was Jesus showed up. And when Jesus showed up, he showed up there to get them into service. And, and, and any time you toil all night and catch nothing, or there's some disappointment, which means something's not going right, right? What you should do is to start going to God and talking to him. I want to show this here about this issue of service. Uh, it, it, it's about service. It's about there's something that he has for you on this earth, that he wants to open up uh, a door to you on this earth to get into something that is the essence of your life, uh, to, to enter into that particular thing which was the essence there of the life, right, of Joseph there. And it's about God opening up a door. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I want to say it's about Paul, uh, that Paul experienced open doors for service. That is, Paul, he said here, 16 and verse 7, he said, For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permits. Now put the new King James so you understand what he said. He said, I don't just want to go bypass you. I want to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. So I don't wish to see you now on the way. But I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. Now verse 8. And I went on and said, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. And there was a reason why. In verse 9, he said, for a great and effective door has opened unto me. So he said, God has opened, I got to Ephesus, and a great and effective door was opened unto me. And what I'm saying is, for us to get into the place of prayer now, that the door that God has ordained for you at this particular point in time. You see, because if you go through that door, that's what Jesus is saying, all these other things that you are looking for will be added unto you. The things that, I'm sure this here in Covenant, that you will have been praying and trying to believe God outside of his real domain, where his economy is. Now he opens up that door, you go through that particular door, and you find out that you go in and out and find pasture. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12 makes reference to the same thing. Right? It says, furthermore, when I came to trust to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. So we are talking about not just serving, you know, in a way, your idea, you just think, well, let me know. But that Jesus comes in and opens a door. Uh, like they told all night. And I'm saying this, that when you are in a situation where things are not, ask for that open door. Go for that door. Jesus is there. He, he's not, if you start saying, I want fish, I want fish, you miss him. Open the door. What he wants is to come in and say, lend me your boat. And now if, if you allow him, then you get into service. From service, the results come. They caught multitude of fish, all right, an abundance. When they caught that, they still now understood it was about service. He said, from now on, you shall catch men. Even in the midst of abundance, they had gotten into purpose and gotten into that line there. So it's about purpose there. It's about Jesus opening up something to you. 
and this is consistent throughout the scripture, where it is the covenant that God has with humanity, where he says, I will get you out and, and of situation of that is to enter in through that door, and it's a door right there of service. Now, in Exodus chapter 3 from verse 7, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7 there, it speaks about, and, and that was what prosperity message was really meant to be, was an empowerment. And this is what God is saying, I will empower you and bless you so that you'll be able to do those things. Because when I open up those doors, some of those doors will cost real money to do those things, to help people, to, to get things done on the earth. And because you are committed to that, the resources will come. And anytime a person, I'm saying this, has discovered what the Lord wants from your life, everything begins to open. That's why Jesus said, when they asked, they go and get a coat. And the God there will see this. He said, they said, what should we tell him? He said, tell him. The master has need of it. In other words, if you discover what the master wants to do in and through you, things start getting released. Same thing, he said, go and tell Pharaoh. Let my people go that they might serve me. So in Exodus 3 here and verse 7, it says, the Lord says, I will surely send the affliction of my people. Now they had prayed to God because they were going through affliction and they were being oppressed, the nation of Israel, who are in Egypt. He said, I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Verse 8, he said, I am come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians, now note what he said, to bring them up out of the, that land unto a good land, a large and unto a land that flows with milk and honey, the place of Canaanites, Kittites, talked about them, Amorites, Hivites, Jebusites, and then he went on in verse 9, now therefore, so he said, I'm bringing you into a land of promise that flows with milk and honey. But there was a reason why he was taking them there. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come upon to me, and I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Now, verse 10, come therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people out, or the children of Israel out of Egypt. Verse 11, it says here, and Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh to bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then it says, verse 12, here's the point. He said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought the people forth out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. So he said, there is that mountain, that place that flows with milk and honey. And the purpose, the reason why I'm bringing you out and placing you here where there will be an abundance is that you might have the wherewithal to be able to serve me correctly. So it says, I'm taking you out on the basis there of service. Uh, that's why it tells us in Luke chapter 1 and verse 74, it says that the Lord will deliver us from the hand of our enemies that we may serve him without fear. So God delivers in order to take people. So it says, you serve Pharaoh in bondage and hard labor. My own yoke is easy, my burden is light. You get delivered from that into my own. And it says, in my own form of service, I equip. Nobody goes to war at his own cost. Nobody serves me, all right? It says, I will give the resources there and everything. And the purpose of all the resources and all of that is that you might be effective servants here on the earth, executing and doing my will. And that's what will give you real satisfaction in life. Material things in themselves, if they increase and there's no intent or purpose, then the appetite begins to grow. And when the appetite begins to grow, then the life gets destroyed, all right? But, all right, it doesn't satisfy anything. It makes really no difference. Uh, someone says, well, you buy one car, then you have to buy another car, then you buy another Because it's the appetite that is growing. But there's no contentment. But when a person understands purpose, when that door has been opened up, 
when a person sees clearly this is my assignment on the earth, I'm going to be empowered, right, in the things that I do that I might be able to fulfill these. And as I fulfill that, then God opens up another door and I get myself involved in that. And then he opens up another door, bigger doors there. I have five loaves and two fish there and he opens up a door to feed the multitude of 5,000 people. And he says, once you are committed to that, the resources are going to come. Jonah was in bondage and he said, Lord, open the door, I'm going in for service. God spoke to the fish, he was out. He got into the place of assignment. And what God is saying is, all right, my assignment. Once there's anything, start thinking assignment. Start thinking assignment. Start thinking about that door there, right, of service that God wants to open up and get us into. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818-600-0082. God bless you. best friend growing up from primary school secondary school you know i, I mean i mean I, you, you now start having he, he sent me something i mean he was a sickler so he he said look uh, nigerian foundation for this we need this and i looked at what they said i said don't worry uh, 20 uh, one fifth of it because i felt that's assignment here you know we grew up together you have this condition in your body there's a reason why there's something about this you've survived it you are strong you are healthy you know, few people have survived this. You are in this position. They mention that kind of thing to you. You recognize that, you know, this money you have inside this place, this is what you can use this for. And you start getting, you start seeing God. As, as he starts opening up doors, you start seeing him. That is what, I mean, that money, I could have used it to buy something, material. Let's even say you buy uh, three suits and you wear. I mean, I have suits in my house that I look at that is trouble to be tying. You get what I'm saying? When you go and tie it, you will just say, look, let's wear just Nigerian attire. It's easy, all right? But when you are buying the suit, you're but now you, you, there is no satisfaction in all of this there, all right? But the satisfaction, as I said yeah, last week, I, somebody said something. He said, he said, look, wealth is what money cannot buy and death cannot take away from you, right? That you get into something that actually, you know, counts. God opens up the door and you get yourself into it. It gives meaning. All right, your life as a Christian, there has to be something deeper. And he says that deeper thing is what access brings about direct access to the power of Christ, right, that comes inside your operations and gives, brings about a distinction between that. So God is willing to bless people to any extent as they are in his assignment. If the assignment requires that you fly around the whole of Nigeria, all right, in one day to do certain things, then God sees it in his wisdom, right, to get you a private jet to do that. That's no problem with God. But you see, when is God doing it, nobody is stressed about it. The same way you buy a car is the same way you buy the private jet. I was like, I said to me, how can anybody have a private jet? You know, you can't have a private jet. There are poor people. What about the car you are driving? Are they not poor people? Sell the car and buy bicycles so that you can give the money. And people just say things. All right? You don't understand that doors can legitimately be opened up to people where they have to be. All right? In, at Asaba, 12 noon, they have to be. In Calabar, at 2.30, they have to be. In Lokoja, at 4 o'clock, they have to be. Not that they want, they have to be there. 
And so God says that is the means of transportation. And you see, when God opens up doors and says that the assignment, you have five loaves, you look at it, and you have to feed 5,000 people. All he says is, you don't have to start. Now, you see, when, when it's you, and you want to feed yourself, just your own self, then you'll be going over. But when you, see anything, you tell God, look, you see, you open the door. Here is the five loaves I have. I drop it, all right? You say, we should feed 5,000, right? And then God begins to bring a supernatural supply that is there. Because you are obedient, you, you are obedient there, things now begin to flow. He knows if I get things into the hands of this person, right, they're going to fulfill this particular assignment that I have for them on the earth. So it's important, this is how we jumpstart things within our lives. This is how when people start getting bored of things, it means that they are going through a routine, all right, just going through the form of, 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 of Christianity. But what brings about excitement is these doors that are opening up to you as an individual, you're getting yourself involved in things, and, you know, right, uh, and, and, and serving and, and doing powerful things on the earth. Now, I'll close with this. Uh, service is, there's the outward one, where you use your members, which is what we're talking about here, material things and your body there, you yield your body as an instrument of righteousness, external service. But then, there's another form of service that must go before this which is what Paul called and told the church at Corinth. You gave yourselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, you gave yourself to this cause. So the first thing is giving yourself over to the Lord. Now, many people try to do. In fact, that door will not open. Now, you might just be doing things, but the door will not open except you are first giving yourself to the Lord. All right? You, it's there. I mean, that's what Jesus was referring to when he said in, in Revelation, I know your works, you do good works, he said, but repent and return to your first love. In other words, the internal service is no longer there, you are just doing external things, which are good, but that service there, your priesthood to God. So somebody can be active on the outside, good works, but in terms of, they might read their Bible once a month, they might pray once in you know, three weeks, all right? There is no real fellowship with God, even though there are things on the outside that they are doing. So there is the internal one first, and then it goes to the external one there. And the internal one, what we must understand is this. Uh, if you put up Hebrews chapter 3 here, all right, start reading from verse 3, Hebrews 3 and verse 3, it tells us that, for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, Inasmuch as he who built the house hath more honor than the house. And then in verse 4, it tells us, For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And then verse 5, it tells us, Moses very was faithful in his house for his servant of the testimony of the things that was spoken after, and Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast, steadfast, are confident, and rejoicing of hope firm unto the end. Now, this is what I want to say here. All right, in the book of Haggai, and that's why people must get, that's why I keep saying pray and make sure it's a door God is opening. In the book of Haggai, it says, talks about this, all right, dilemma here, where people are self-centered, and it says, you've forgotten about God's house. Now, people have manipulated people on that, so people have a funny feeling about that. But the house of God starts with you as a person, because it says you are God's house. So it starts with you and a relationship that you have with God. Uh, and what he's saying here is that you should hold fast, all right, your confidence steadfast to the end. If, he says, whose house are we? If we hold fast. So we are part of that. If we hold fast. Now what's he referring to, all right, here? In the book of Second Peter, it tells us in verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2, that grace and peace be multiplied unto you, all right, through the knowledge of God and of and Jesus Christ, whereby, or as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge that Jesus will give unto you, who called you to glory and virtue. So it says his divine power has given to us, past tense, all given, not that he's going to give, all things. And this will be realized through the knowledge 
of him as Jesus gives you knowledge. Now, what's that knowledge? Verse 4, it says, whereby are given unto you exceeding great and precious promises. So, a person is in a situation, Jesus comes and gives him the knowledge of the exceeding great and precious promises of God concerning that particular place. Like he came to the nation of Israel, I'm taking him to a land of milk and honey. He gave them the promise, then said, enter into service concerning this. That you may be partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So what he says here is that he gives us these promises that we may partake of his nature. Now, just to cut it short, this is the understanding that is being communicated in the New Testament that we miss many times. We are waiting for God to do things for us while God says, I want to do things through you. Now, at the beginning, when they were coming out of Egypt, which is a type of us getting saved, God did it for them and there was no participation and they came out. But to get into the promised land, he said, you are going to fight. I'm not going to judge the Canaanites the way I did Pharaoh. You will fight, which means I will walk through you. So to enter into the promise of God, God walks through us. Now, so when God makes a promise, this is what he's saying. Through that promise, he says, let's say he promised a man, you will break forth on the left and on the right. Now he makes the promise. Through that promise, he wants you to partake first of his nature. When you partake of his divine nature into your soul, he grows your capacity and changes you as a person. So God says, I'm going to give you a house. God is not going to build that house for you. What God is going to do is to build you to a point where you can now build the house. If he says, I promise you, your family is going to be this way, he's not going to, on the outside, just make the family that way. He's going to pour into you his wisdom, his knowledge, capacity, and grow you so that you as a person can build that kind of family. So he builds the businessman, the businessman builds the business. So he says all things are, all right, made by some man, but God makes all things. So God is the one doing it, but he's not on the outside just doing it, he's doing it through. So if he says, I'm going to promote you, he's not on the outside, there's no way in the scripture this happens. We read Joseph. What brought about the promotion in Joseph? And there was no problem. It's when we don't follow this order, we start praying and fasting and start cursing and all of that. Joseph, God put things in Joseph, and the light of those things shone out of Joseph such that because of the capacity of Joseph and what he was doing, Potiphar noticed that everything he was doing was prosperous, was, was, was successful. He promoted him. So God builds his nature into us. We manifest divinity. Godliness means God-likeness. Great is the mystery of godliness. God manifests in the flesh. So God manifests himself in our flesh. People look at what you are doing at a much superior level because it's the nature of God you have partaken of. That's why Daniel had 10 times more understanding. They had no choice. They had to elevate Daniel. Jacob came in. He had taken in part of God's nature. So anything he touched with that intelligence, with what it is, things were growing. So Laban understood. Same thing with Joseph. So he wants to pour his nature. Now, we are not, all right, thinking that way. We are saying, God, go and do it for us, which means I'm not going to participate. God will just do it for me. But God says, I will do it through you. So I'm going to begin to build it, build my nature until you see how it is done. And it's very simple. The same way I can walk down this staircase easily, right? Once that thing enters into you, what you have been calling the promise that is far-fetched, suddenly you just see it, oh, this is how they do this kind of things because that nature is on the inside of you. So somebody who knows how, let's just say, you know, to do the Rubik's Cube there, Rubik's Cube there, it's easy for the person who does it. You can blindfold the person. If you don't know how to do it, you'll be struggling forever with it. So the promise of God, what he says on the outside, he says, I will build my capacity in you, make it clear and simple, and then you go out and execute that particular thing. In that way, if on the outside somebody takes that thing away from you, it, is, it was a manifestation of who you are, not something you were gifted. Which means if they take it away from you and they carry you and they put you, all right, in Ghana, you can build that thing because the design is in you. You know how to do it from scratch. 
So a mechanic who can fix a car in Lagos, take him to Johannesburg, he will fix the car. It is inside him. So God says that promise, I will build you, and then you go out and build the promise. So God doesn't build nations, he builds people that the people now build nations. If you are praying for the nation to be built by God, then you are saying God is partial. Because why are some nations good, some nations not good? God is not the one deciding. God says, these people have opened themselves to me and have poured my wisdom in. They've accepted it, made the adjustments, and so they can now build that way, right? But, okay, if you don't have that capacity, then you cannot build that. So God says, I want to build something in you. So he gave Joseph a promise. I'm going somewhere. I said, you are going to do this, but Joseph, you need to have capacity. So he took Joseph and started building the capacity into Joseph. He was in Potiphar's house. He was in the process of building him up. He built him to a point. He said, look, uh, this, you have been able to manage Potiphar's house well, but this is just a house. Now you need to manage something much larger than this. The only place we can find for you to manage much larger thing than this is in prison here. So they got him to prison. All right? The amount of people in prison were much more than the staff he had. It wasn't about confinement or freedom. It was about building him up. Do you get what we're saying here? All right? David there was anointed. This is the mistake people make. I said, well, I'm anointed. You know, he was anointed. He killed Goliath. You think that one single talent is enough to make you the CEO and to be able to run an organization? One single talent? Right? So you kill Goliath. And you say, well, I killed Goliath. I should be the one. God says, my friend. You don't have an idea what it means to run the nation of Israel and fulfill my mandate, right? If he became king after he killed Goliath, there will have been no tabernacle of David. There will have been no, nothing of that sort. All that wisdom was poured into him when Saul began to throw spears, all right? So God says, your capacity must change here. You must increase, you must be able to handle things. Somebody begins to treat you wrong, he's building capacity, takes you to the cave, building capacity, when he has poured his nature inside you and you now have the capacity there, automatically the people came to meet David and said, David, even in the days of Saul, you were king. And they carried David because he was a man of capacity and said, come and save and deliver us. So God starts the journey there, gives the promise and says, there is an internal service and an external service. The internal one here is first as I give you my promise, now I want to build capacity on the inside. So what does it tell us here in Hebrews chapter 3? We start reading from verse 5, all right? Hebrews 3 and verse 5, okay, quickly. It says, Moses' prayer was faithful in all his hands, a testament of things spoken after, verse 6, and then it says, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm unto the end. Then he goes on. It says, next verse, Wherefore the Holy Ghost said, Today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. As in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. So it's in that time of provocation and temptation, God is building capacity into the person. It's during that time that he's beginning to expand that person. Building capacity, pouring stuff into that person. Where they're going through is building capacity there. It goes on and says, verse 9, he says this in verse 9, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation because they are, and they have not known my ways. So they always heard in their heart. Uh, they always felt, where well, God, where are you? God was in the process of building them up, making them more intelligent, making them wiser people, stronger people, all right? People, you know, confidence begins to grow. As you start, you, you, don't, you don't get confidence by just confessing, I'm confident, I'm confident. Confidence actually begins to grow when you begin, all right, to get results. You start doing small things you felt you could not do. Confidence begins to grow. I mean, I've told this story before. A team was down 3-0 in the World Cup, and they became, when matching the 3-3, they said, how? They were demoralized. The coach said, don't think about three goals. We've lost this match. Just think about one goal. The minute they scored one goal, he said, next 10 minutes, score another, confidence started coming. Which means as you start getting results, confidence begins to come. So he says, they always err in their hearts. They have not known my ways. Now put verse 14. He goes and says this in verse 14. He says, we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast. So you partake of Christ. Christ is not the son name of Jesus. He's the anointed one and his anointing. 
that you partake of the anointing of God, uh, you, you, that, that supernatural enablement, if you hold fast the beginning of your confidence, steadfast to the end. So all that difficult time there is you are eating and partaking your soul is partaking of Christ. All right, the Holy Ghost is entering into your soul, building capacity on the inside of you. So what does he expect of you during that time? Not to get angry, all right, not to be upset, but 2 Chronicles chapter 30, all right, 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 8 tells us what he said. Now be ye not stiff-necked or harden your heart as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord. So understand that once the capacity is there, the manifestation will come. If there's no manifestation, then I'm still void of something. So something happens, you know God is building you, yield yourself unto God, all right? And enter into his sanctuary, that's the place of worship, and which he had sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that his fierceness of his wrath may turn away. Serve him. So there's that service there, where things as a person may go wrong, but you're a true worshiper who serves God. And so you know the attitude of that kind of person. They don't throw tantrums. You don't, because they understand it, things don't work out. They don't get into a mood. They don't, you know, show anything because they understand, all right, the bigger picture. And once you start going through that path, you understand. As somebody said, when a door is closed, she said this on Twitter, said, it was very powerful, when a door is closed, he said, it's not a rejection of me, but it's a redirection of my steps. I have always found that when one door closes, it's because God has something I wasn't thinking about, and he redirects me into something much bigger. So once you understand this, something happened or, or didn't happen the way you thought, you know that there must be something God is thinking about, right, that he has planned. You go into the place of worship. A few days after events shape out in a certain way, then you see it. Now you know that pathway. You know the ways of God. Uh, and you're a worshiper there. And then God now opens up a door on the outside and tells you. So what happens is inside you are worshiping God outside there, then he blesses you or does things and opens up doors, and then you can do things on the outside. But it's important that there is that balance, because there are many people who things have happened, they are hot, they are angry, but on the outside are still using their members, quote and unquote, in service, but they are really angry, all right? And so what happens is one day they just explode in anger, and people that don't understand the patterns of God, you say, oh, but that person was a faithful person, why are they so angry and bitter? Uh, the, the lessons that were coming through, right? They, they were not allowing God to build things on the inside of them. They, they bottled up those things. There was a root of bitterness on the, on the inside of them. So two things. Understand this. God will build capacity into you. He took David, takes everybody, builds capacity as you are heading towards a promise. Once you become to the stature of Christ, then you are able to do those things which means the promises, you're able to fulfill those promises there. You are able to fulfill those promises. The stature, right, is there. You're able to do that. And then at the same time, he understands that, look, when you start getting these things done and the, there's capacity for you to handle your business in a certain way and you are getting mega results there because you're a person of capacity and intelligence that God has poured his spirit, which is the anointing, Jesus Christ is the anointed one, which is, the, they called him Christ because he was anointed by the Holy Ghost. So you're a partaker of the anointing of the Holy Ghost, all right? So the Holy Ghost has come inside you and it's helping you in things. It has created a lot. And God says, look, my essence is I have something I want you to do on the earth, all right, with this. And it has opened up the door. So you're a man of capacity who gets results, Quote here, in the marketplace by divine intelligence. And what you are bringing out in the marketplace, God has shown you that these are the things I want you as a person to do on the earth with this. So you're a person of stature, all right? And, and a person that, that you, I mean, you can't be destroyed because of the capacity that God all right, has built on the inside of you. You, you do have, you are an intelligent, I mean, I mean, I'm telling this the frustration.
People just want the problem to be solved without any application, without any growth. Let the problem just disappear without any growth. If anything happens on the outside without happening inside you first, then you'll be in bondage to that thing on the outside. So he pours his capacity anointing inside you, and then with that you get, all right, results there. And then he tells you, he says this, he says, uh, put you in this position, all right, because there's something. And he has opened the door of service, building anointing in you, getting results, you're serving him. And that's the higher calling in your life. That's, that's calling there. That's the assignment he wants you to do upon this earth. So let's start thinking about uh, next year in this light, uh, praying to God really inside your heart, whether as an individual, whether as a family, asking him, what are we all about? What are the doors that he wants us, all right, opened up unto us? What are those things he wants us to do? Because it is those things you do, a service that you render, right, to people, and you put, do things for them in their life. That's, that's what will count for eternity, and that's what will give uh, your life um, a true meaning. It's not really the material things you have on the outside. Yes, it's only somebody who, who doesn't know about this earth that thinks serving God is a cheap thing, ain't cheap. All right? You, you have to have the means to do it. Let's just go and help the poor. You know you have to have means to help the poor. We're not talking about intention to help. That's not service. Execution is service. If it's intent, everybody has intent. Is the person who can execute that actually. All right? Even the Bible teaches it's not just enough to think. You have to perform that which you have thought. All right, about. So they must execution. And to do that requires capacity. All right, to be able to serve So God is committed and says, you'll get anything to that individual provided. All right, that's where they are going. Once you get that service, orientation is then doors begin to open up and to get Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for this truth you placed on the inside of us. I ask by the power of the Spirit that you cause it to grow and to bring forth eternal things in Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818 600 0082. God bless you.